Cape Talk. Plan B with Rebecca Davis. Good afternoon, Rebecca. Try again. With Good afternoon, John. <laughs> There's that. Whoa, that's quite loud. Turn her microphone down. <laughs> we need more good news. Yes, we do, don't you think? <sighs> Surely, John. No, we do. But it, it's, it's a debate I've been having internally and with colleagues for all the time I've been a journalist. How do you balance good news with the reality of the bad news? No, that is true. I was at an event last night where I had a number of people tell me they fear that journalists in this country are giving them such a deluge of bad news. They just want something, some ray of light occasionally because the avalanche of depression, depressing news makes them want to switch off. And I did take this quite seriously, and I was thinking about it, John, and I've identified three things, three whole things. Actually, three four things. now that I think about it. I four. Think. Our this cheap week, weapons are. This week <laughs> that have left me feeling a glimmer of hope. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, the first one, which is a sort of bittersweet, I suppose, was the, re- the, the retirement of Judge Edwin Cameron, but reflecting on the life and work of Judge Edwin I read your, Cameron. your piece, which is wonderful. Thank you, I didn't write one. But um, I didn't write any such piece, but I'll oh, take I, that. <laughs> I'll take I read Ferial Hafferty's piece. <laughs> that was Ferial Hafferty's piece. Yeah, sorry. Um, Woo, just in face. terms of the fact that, you know, in Edwin Cameron, we have someone who is, I think, literally as from as underprivileged a background as it is possible for a white An African. An orphanage in Queenstown. A literal orphanage. Dirt poor, who grows up to win a Rhodes Scholarship to Oxford, who comes back, who is unquestionably one of the finest legal minds our country has ever produced, who has fought so bravely and so hard for the rights of people with HIV, for gay people, or just an all-round magnificent human being, and with so much humility, integrity, intellect. I mean, I think that that someone like Edwin Cameron really represents the very best of what South Africa can be and should be. And just being reminded that there are people like Edwin Cameron in this country for a moment really made me feel quite uplifted. And then I remember he was retiring, and I felt <laughs> And the, the name of Judge Willie Sariti came into the news, <laughs> and we thought not all judges are of Edwin Cameron's quality. That's true. But another <clears> judge <throat> this week, and this is my point two, who seriously impressed me is Judge Phineas Mojapelo, from who is serving as in the Equality Court this week with his ruling on the old South African flag. John, I don't know if you've read that judgment. I have. I 77 pages. I don't, wonderful. I thought it was beautiful. Because I think, you know, he's ruling on whether the, the old South African flag is, should be considered hate speech. It's a ruling that has the potential to be, I think, greeted very, as very, a very hostile move by many parts, particularly of the, the right wing. It's a p- potentially divisive judgment in some regards. And yet I found the wording of it to be so magnificently balanced in terms of his assurance that actually you know just rally around the new flag the new flag is symbolic of all the unity that south africa is supposed to bring and there was this line in it john that really moved me when he wrote ultimately the ideal of south african unity is worth striving for at all costs especially for those parts of the nation to the left and to the right who may not yet be there and that to me was just you know it really reminded me of this currently terribly unfashionable dream of the non-racial united non-sexist South Africa that we've kind of let let slip away but again just a, a memory of what, what this is all about what this is all supposed to be about that made me feel hopeful that's two okay number three is a quick one the news from public enterprise minister 
Praveen Gordon that we've recovered, the state has recovered over 2 billion rand in the state capture misgotten gains so far. That's quite a lot of money. We hope it will be put to good use. <coughs> and the fourth thing is I've been working on a story about crowdfunding, which I thought would actually be quite depressing. And what sparked it was the news that in America now almost a third of crowdfunding appeals are used to pay medical bills, which is obviously a terrible indictment on the U.S. health system. People have to go online and ask strangers for help. I wanted to see what the situation was in South Africa. But instead, John, all I found are these... Just, I mean, it's obviously not great that anyone should have to go on the internet and beg for money from strangers. But what you see is that people in South Africa remain so incredibly generous when called upon to contribute charitably in this way. And there's just story after story, these uplifting stories. You know, there's a tani from Langsburg who's being sent to Italy. She's on with Pippa tomorrow, yeah. Just these strangers who are more than happy to open their wallets, donate thousands of rands to medical bills, to university tuition, to school fees for people they don't even know. And there's a sense, perhaps particularly, that when government fails, ordinary citizens are willing and able to step in and help each other. And I think that will always be a comfort and an inspiration. The end. No, I, I agree. You see, it, it is my view that the vast, the vast middle of South Africa, and it's not a middle because a middle implies a sort of, you know, a relatively small amount, but um, the 80% from here to there, with 10% there and 10% there, <laughs> you need to see my hand movements, yes. are, are, are like that. We, we want the same thing. We want that dream of mm. the United. And, you know, in my 22 years on this radio station, the number of causes that we've laid in front of our listeners and the level of generosity that has come through is quite extraordinary. So I think I, Cape Talk I, listeners I are a real example of that. I absolutely believe in that. But like you, I was taken aback when I heard Imtia Suleiman saying that the two missing teachers in, uh, in Vietnam have probably given away their organs or had them forcibly taken. John... So I've had so many people come up to me this week and said, oh, my goodness, have you seen that story of the two South African men in Vietnam who've, you know, been kidnapped and murdered for their organs? And I, just everything about this struck me as so vastly unlikely. And I realized soon that the only source for this claim is Imtia Suleiman from Gift of the Givers. Must preface this by saying I have all the respect in the world for Imtia Suleiman and Gift of the Givers. But I think he is irresponsible to go around saying that these men may have been the, the, the victims of organ trafficking, especially now that we've just heard that one of their mothers has now had a heart attack, probably brought on by the stress of this suggestion. You know, research shows... That the, that the urban myth of the foreigner who is in Asia wakes up, their organs have been cut out, is precisely that. It is a myth. It is a myth. There's no evidence that this happens. Yes, people voluntarily, consensually donate organs in Vietnam and in Thailand, particularly because there's a cultural taboo there around organ donation because the belief is you should be buried with all your organs intact. But the idea that somebody consensually sells an organ, John, I think is very different to the notion that someone is kidnapped and has their organs cut out of them. So if these men were in a terrible financial predicament and were approached, as apparently does happen sometimes in Vietnam, to sell organs, that's one thing, and it's a regrettable decision. But I think we should be careful about using words like harvesting and trafficking when there's no evidence that this practice takes place, particularly with foreigners. My favorite international story of uh, the last couple of days has been Donald Trump cancelling his visit to Denmark because... <laughs> The Danish Prime Minister said his proposal to buy 
Greenland, which mm. is part of Denmark's sovereign territory, said it was absurd. And he said, that's nasty, so I'm not coming to visit you. Bah, 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 bah. So it turns out he was dead serious about buying Greenland. Yes. He really wanted to buy our country from Denmark. I didn't actually know that Green- Greenmark was technically controlled by Denmark, so that was the one good piece of information this week. But it got me thinking, how does one buy a country? Is this common practice that countries can buy other countries, that we can just roll up and buy? Maybe we could buy Swaziland, Eswatini, you know? I've got 50 rand. That should <laughs> that should cover the, the, the GDP. Um, it seems the most recent time this happened, John, was probably 1917, when Denmark was again the seller and the U.S. again the buyer, the Virgin Islands. The U.S. bought the Virgin Islands from Denmark in 1917 for the very reasonable price of $25 million. I'm sure it would be a lot now, allowing for inflation. And then Alaska is another example. U.S. bought it from Russia, 1867, for $7 million. That one was a real steal. Further back, Liechtenstein in Europe was also bought in the 17th century. So there are precedents of this happening. It's just that it hasn't happened for good reason for about 110 years because now we generally tend to believe, that, you know, that the inhabitants of countries... The, the Americans have, have, have sort of made offers to purchase <coughs> Greenland before. The most recent, I think, was in the 1950s. Truman. Um, yeah. Harry Truman also made moves on Greenland because it's a but, strategic territory. But he territory. didn't cancel. He, he didn't throw his toys out of the cot when Denmark said thank you, but no thank you. Because also it's now understood that ethnic Inuit people in, in Greenland should perhaps have a little say in who their country gets sold to. But it also got me thinking, John, if you could buy any country, which would it be? <laughs> you can't just throw that at me. Uh, if I could buy any country, I would buy. I mean, you'd want something good looking, wouldn't you? Scenery, natural resources. I'd buy Croatia. Oh, you should get that cheap. <laughs> Why? It's one of the most fabulously attractive <laughs> tourist destinations in the world now. It's got islands it. and mountains and seas I've and slandered, lakes. And... I've slandered Croatia. Yeah. What c- country would you buy? I really should have thought of this, shouldn't I? You should have before you asked me the question. You should have I, thought that you might get it back. I want a coastline. I want a coastline. I want Monaco. some forests. Monaco's too small okay. for my expansionist plans. Um, I don't know, maybe Italy. I'll take Italy. Yeah, it's going dirt cheap at the moment <laughs> as well. Thank you very much, Rebecca Davis. Back with another Plan B next week.